It's Sunday, and you know what that means. And this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Well, welcome to the Dick Morris Show. Good morning, with, Dick Morris. With Doug DePiro here. Um, uh. Just one thing. Yeah. I want to say happy birthday to my Deanna Marie. Oh, good. To your daughter. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, so uh, this country, you could be pardoned for being a little confused about what's happening with the country, but let me try to explain it all and talk about what I think the outcome is going to be. You are ultimately going to end up with two candidates for president running against each other, one of whom was, un- was under indictment and the other of whom is under impeachment. In both cases, they will have gotten acquittal from the action against them. But the scar will remain, and it will be a huge issue in the campaign. Did did Trump deserve impeachment? I mean, indictment. Did Biden deserve impeachment? Now, let's look at the Trump portion of it for a minute. His case is doomed. Uh, There is no way on earth this guy is not going to be found guilty uh, by the jury that's currently going to be impaneled. Number one, the jury will be biased. It will be all Democrat, chosen from Washington, D.C., all biased against Trump passionately. Number two, the judge herself is clearly biased. She gave long prison sentences, far more than than deserved or even even allowed, uh, to the January 6th rioters. And uh, some of them went for, for multiple years. And uh, some of them, I, I don't even recall, but I think some of them were more than ten, were 10 years or thereabouts. Imagine. Um, and she's going to rule against Trump at every turn. The first turn is going to come soon when I think she'll impose a gag order on the president, literally making it illegal for him to talk about the case. And uh, Trump's speechwriters and Trump himself will have to tiptoe through that minefield. And the odds of their making it to the end without being blown up are very, very limited. Wait a second. He's, he's on campaign right now. Yeah, he's the president, can, former they, president, campaigning, and the judge will impose a gag order. And now that will be appealed, and I think there's some chance that that could be thrown out. Hmm. But I, I think would, it's I most imagine. likely not going to be thrown out. Hmm. I think it will most likely stand. Really? Because they're all biased courts. It's the district court for the District of Columbia. It's the circuit court for the District of Columbia. And hmm. you have to go through those two stages before we can get to the Supreme Court. Wow. I think that the, that the charges, uh, against Trump, uh, have no validity, but it'll take a while to show that. And I think that that is not likely to stop his, his being convicted. I think that, uh, a railroading judge and a railroading jury are both going to vote guilty on Trump. Now, then he'll appeal to the Circuit Court of Appeals, which is also a Democratic body, but with some Republicans on it. And then they'll sustain the verdict. And then it will go to the Supreme Court, which after a review will throw the verdict out and will uh, end the indictment and end this form of the agony. You feel solid about that? I do. Uh, absolutely. Good. There's no legal basis for their, uh, for his indictment. And, uh, and I think that the court will recognize that. Mm-hmm. We'll dwell on that in a little bit, but let me continue to fast forward. 
as the Democrats ratchet up the game by indicting Trump and then moving to convict him, railroad him really, mm-hmm. the Republicans are going to be forced to act in kind and to reply in kind. And the House will do the only weapon it has to protect democracy. It will impeach Joe Biden. And as you know, impeachment is an indictment. It's not a conviction. It goes to the Senate. And he will join Andrew Johnson, uh, in effect, Richard Nixon, and Donald Trump twice. And Clinton. Uh, and Clinton as being the only indict, in, impeached president. Mm. And uh, it'll go to the Senate, and Biden will win because the Democrats will vote on this on a party-line basis. So you're going to have the presidential race between a former indictee and a former victim of impeachment. Mm. Uh, great choice, <laughs> running against each other. And that sets the stage for what's going to happen in this election. Now, I believe that both sides will be aroused to great passion by the indictment, by the impeachment, and by how unfair the entire thing is and how un-American it is. That's horrible. And I think that in the election that follows, a curious thing is going to happen. I predict that nobody will care about that, that that will not be – those will not be the issues in the campaign. I think people will say, the hell with that. Who is the better president for me? Who did the most for the economy? Who did the most to help me in my daily life? And who do I think would be the more, the better president? And Biden's frailty and uh, disability and his mendacity, as, as will be brought out in connection with the uh, facts that will lead to his impeachment, the bribes that he's taken, but mainly just the record. You have two presidents, each of whom served one term, each of whom controlled Congress for half of it and had split a negative Congress for the other half. And their records are pretty comparable. And when you compare them, there's no possibility that Trump runs even with Biden on this. And I believe that the results of the election will be uh, Trump's victory, and I think it's going to be fairly pronounced. But the country is going to go through hell before that. It's going to go through the, the instability of a former president being indicted and convicted, uh, reversed on appeal, and the current president impeached, acquitted in the Senate. And uh, that'll be the choice that we'll have to make. Now, I think back to the Lewinsky scandal, because I was working in the White House with Clinton during that. And the dominant attitude that people in the country had was this should never have been a criminal matter. This should not have resulted in impeachment. It should not result in his ouster. Clinton was a lying SOB, uh, but that's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should keep him as president. And uh, eventually, the impeachment issue faded in 2000. The only thing that was, that was still current was in 1998, when the Republican Congress came up for re-election, they lost seats. And that was the second time in American history that the party that controlled the White House lost seats in Congress I'm sorry, that the party that controlled the White House failed to lose seats in the election, uh, in the uh, congressional election. In other words, all other times, if the president was a Democrat, the Democrats would gain in the House, whereas in every other year the Republicans gained. And similarly, if there was a Republican in the White House, uh, the Republicans gained in Congress and didn't lose. So the Congress of 1999 was much more, uh, pro-Republican than the Congress of 1998. 
the entire impeachment thing backfired massively Mm -hmm. and uh, did the Republicans no good. And I think that's what's coming up. I think that that's what's going to happen. Um, But it's going to take a while to get there. And uh, I think that that we have got to understand that this is the likely course of the future Uh, and and deal with it and win with it. Uh, because obviously the issue in the trial will be far more than Trump's conduct. It will be whether democracy can be preserved or not. And uh, that's going to put the indictment and the issue on an entirely different level. It's horrible that it's becoming common thing to indict a president. And, yeah, and, and it's becoming almost, almost standard, yes, not I to mean. indict, but that's, to impeach. That's yeah, horrible. Absolutely. Um, now... Uh, I believe that that these this is where this stuff is headed inevitably, and uh, I think that that probably is the is the outcome that's going to happen. But I do believe that Trump will survive it, and I do believe he will win. So this is what I think. This is what I th- where I think uh, this is headed for Donald Trump. That actually is is what the the Democrats hope happens, but uh, he does it his but way. I think he's going to do it his way, um, and and turn out and win. Uh, let's go to Frank in Staten Island. Hi, Frank. Hey, Frank. How are you doing? Good morning. Good. So, what happened hey, in could- Union Square? Why was there the riot? It was a, a riot. Well, there was going to be a giveaway of maybe 300 of uh, uh, the new model of PlayStation that a rapper or well-known or influencer or whatever was going to do. So a lot of like the Gen Z millennial crowd came to that and it didn't work out and they all freaked out and it became like a riot with the police. The reason I'm calling is imagine if Trump does become president, that riot will multiply like on steroids and i'm in staten island a lot of staten islanders they vote for trump they're gonna come they're gonna these animals are gonna come over the ferry to staten island to kill us all well maybe not kill us but they'll put us in the hospital i mean this is really we have enough problems in reality (laughs) not to add to them the speculation and fantasy about what might happen for a more optimistic view let's go to allen in queens hey allen Yes, good morning, Hi. sir. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Yep. Uh, the deal is basically that America is a young country. It's less than 260 years old. And right at this point, it's having extreme convulsions. And we weathered, we weathered civil wars. We weathered all kinds of things. But I think this is very significant in that Trump will, will come victorious on this whole thing. It's going to take time and a lot of pain. And Biden will fall. The Democratic uh, machine, which has been in existence for over 120 years, uh. is basically going to vanish from the, sa- the face of America. But the problem is you you have to wait. You have to yeah. wait it out. Yeah. And that's frightening a lot of people. We'll, we'll, have so an election in, we'll have an election in between, which we won't have to wait for. We just have to win. I don't know about vanish, but they're definitely yeah, going to no. hurt themselves. So this is the Dick Morris Show presented by Patriot Gold Group. And uh, we'll talk next about what's going on on the Biden side of the fence with his coming impeachment.
This is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am stuck in the middle with you. The case against Joe Biden that will lead to his impeachment is so sweeping and so enormous that we're only beginning to understand it. And uh, in the polling numbers you'll see, you'll see that people are only gradually coming to understand the extent of the corruption in the Biden administration. You know, monarchs in 16th and 17th century Europe used to send their daughters and sons out to other royal courts with the goal of marrying somebody there and getting their dowry and cementing a political alliance. Well, in this case, it's not to get a dowry, it's to get, it's to get bribes. And he sends Hunter out and uh, Frank Biden out and James Biden and even Valerie Biden to go around the world uh, seeking bribes and seeking situations in which Trump can make money. Uh, he's literally, they literally have, in effect, a finder's fee for the, it. The Bribin family. Yeah, the Bribin family is exactly right. So start with, uh, with Ukraine, only because we have to start someplace. Um, in 19, I'm sorry, in, well, in 2014, uh, in April, uh, President Biden met with Devin Archer, who was Hunter's business partner at the White House. Five days later, on April 21st, 2014, Vice President Biden himself visited Ukraine. The next day, April 22nd, Archer, Hunter's business partner, was appointed the board of Burisma, a corrupt Ukrainian energy company. Things weren't going well for Burisma. On April 28th, a week after Joe's visit to Ukraine, British officials raided the bank accounts of Burisma owner Mykola Zlochevsky. They seized $23 million. Often business executives under indictment hire top lawyers to defend them. But Zolchevsky knew where the real power resided and hired Hunter Biden on May 12th <laughs> at a salary of a million dollars a year, Amazing. two weeks after his bank account was raided and emptied. It didn't matter that Hunter knew nothing about energy. Zolchevsky knew that Hunter was the key to Joe and Joe would be his get-out-of-jail-free card. <laughs> Meanwhile, the authorities closed in on Hunter's client and benefactor, Zolchevsky. At the end of 2014, he had to flee Ukraine Ukraine among allegations of bribery and money laundering. The next year, Zlochevsky's problems mounted when Ukraine announced that he had been put on the wanted list for alleged financial corruption. But the Hunter-Biden connection seemed to have worked. Magically, Zlochevsky was permitted to return to Ukraine in February 2018 after the investigation into his Burisma holding had been completed the month before with no charges filed against him. How did he do it? Magically. How did he do it? Hmm. And the, and there's an informant that flew, uh, on Air Force Two, uh, Biden's plane, uh, with Jake Sullivan, who at the time was, uh, was in the, one of the na- deputy national security advisor. And, uh, they discussed the need to bribe, uh, to, to bribe to secure, uh, Zlochevsky's release. Uh, the, the, the FBI had another informant who links Joe Biden to Hunter and the $5 million bribery scheme. And uh, we don't know yet exactly what the outcome of that bribe attempt was. But we do know that he was – that uh, that the 
case against Zlochevsky dissolved and he was permitted to continue in office. An FBI form filed to account information from a confidential informant sheds light on what went on in Ukraine between Biden and Zlochevsky. The information comes from a source whose previous, previously been described on the matter as highly credible by both parties. The source quoted in an FD-1023 form details allegations that Burisma's CEO and founder Zlochevsky thought having Hunter on board could help insulate the company from the problems with the prosecutor who was pursuing them. It says that Zlochevsky sent millions of dollars to President Biden as well as to Hunter Biden, and the two tape recordings about the, about the matter exist that implicate Biden. Now, a big part of the bribes was to get rid of Victor Shokin, who was the prosecutor who was going after Burisma. He was their, he was their personal uh, uh, enemy. Biden needed to get rid of Shokin. He was coming too close to discovering what was going on with Burisma and the Biden family role in their corruption. The FBI informant said that Slochevsky thought that having Hunter on the Burisma board would insulate the companies from its legal problems with the prosecutor. The source said that Slochevsky said he had sent millions of dollars to Biden as well as to Hunter. Hunter Biden at the time was on the board of the Burisma, which was the subject of the investigation by the prosecutor's office. With Zlochevsky, the, indi- the investigation came at an inconvenient time because he was contemplating an IPO to begin to sell stock publicly on Burisma in the, U- in the U.S. The FBI informant said that Zlochevsky told him, don't worry, Hunter will take care of all these issues through his dad. It'll cost $5 million to pay one Biden and another $5 million to the other Biden. The uh, chief financial officer at Burisma uh, tested, told the FBI informant that Hunter would be hired on the board to protect us through his dad from all kinds of problems. Later in 2016 and 2017, Zlochevsky complained that he was pushed to pay the Bidens, the FBI course source said. Zlochevsky made clear that he did not send any funds directly to the big guy, but the investigators understood that was a reference to Joe Biden. And Zlochevsky said it would take 10 years to find all the bank records of illicit payments to Joe Biden. So the Biden publicly then began to call for the ouster of Shokin. Uh, everybody's seen the tape of him where he said that uh, I'm leaving here in half an hour. And if this prosecutor is not fired, you're not getting a billion dollars in USAID. Hmm. <clears throat> and the, the prosecutor was fired. And the aid flowed. Now, the Democrats who were defending Biden tried to say that the reason Shokin was fired had nothing to do with the bribe or of with course. Hunter being on the board. It was because he had a reputation for corruption and that the investigation of Zlochevsky had, was not proceeding quickly enough. But Shokin says the special explanation is totally bogus. He can quote. I can give very striking examples, namely our actions about about the ban on twenty three billion million dollars on Zlochevsky was lifted in the UK. I appointed an, an internal investigation, opened a criminal investigation into how and why the money had been seized in the UK. What is more, ten to twelve days before I was forced to resign, the court seized Zlochevsky's assets, his personal savings, property, cars and so on. He said that, I understand very well that the U.S. 
as one of the strongest intelligence agencies in the world. Apparently, Mr. Biden was informed that we were approaching the moment when the interrogations of his son and other persons would begin. Slocan maintains the real motivation behind Biden's wish for his removal was to protect his personal and financial interests mm-hmm. rather than the interests of the American people. Uh, as Shokin closed in on Burisma, That's and treason, Hunter found more and more evidence of corruption, mm. uh, when we began to actively move forward with the game of clarifying this crime and finding who was guilty of violating laws at Burisma, Shokin said, Shokin said mm. we ended up discovering that the administration recruited in May and June of fourteen. Devin Archer, Hunter Biden, and others to uh, insulate Joe Biden. And Shoshevsky said Joe Biden had reason for all this, that, that all this would eventually fall on his son, Shokin said. And as to the evidence of corruption, there wasn't a single corruption cited against him. But this was entirely a hit job to remove the prosecutor. And then, by the way, there were sideshows on all of these. The number of scandals is, is amazing. Uh, brother James Biden, seven years Joe's junior, also got in the action, <clears throat> ripping off Ukraine. The Bidens had a close relationship with Joel, with John Hyansky, I'm listen, used to Ukrainian names, <clears throat> a car dealer from Delaware. It was a reciprocal arrangement. The Bidens sh- showered Hyansky with favors and he gave them thousands of dollars in campaign contributions. Vice President Biden visited Kiev in 2009 and took time out to single out Hyansky from the podium as my very good friend. He noted that John was a very prominent businessman in Delaware and they'd had breakfast with him the the other day. And after he did that, the Overseas Private Investment Corporation, appointed by the president, uh, went ahead to give Hyansky a $20 million loan to be a car dealer and expand his import dealership in Ukraine. Hmm. The problem was that the OP- OPIC mandate was to create jobs in the U.S., but the loan to Hyansky only created them in Ukraine. But the Biden, the Biden family benefited. It seems that James Biden had fallen on hard times. He owed $600,000 to the government in unpaid taxes. And in 2014, magically, a contractor, Gator Pressure Cleaning and Custom Painting, slapped him with a $74,000 lien. Joel Hyansky stepped up to the rescue and gave James Biden two mortgages on his properties, totaling $900,000 from a Delaware company he controlled. The transactional relationship came through for James. His debt to the IRS was dropped to only $30,000, and the Gator Company lien disappeared. When uh, the next... um, then we can go to his trip to Romania that followed his trip to uh, Ukraine. But there he worked hard with Gabriel Popenvisu, a real estate tycoon who had been accused of taking a bribing uh, to get a highly desirable lot for a reduced price. And he, there's a long story here about how Hunter, he retained Hunter Biden as his lawyer to defend him. And then Hunter fought to defend him and then got Louis Free, the former head of the FBI, to add, to become his co-counsel. And he went through a very extensive process, uh, to prove that Popenescu, uh, was guilty of bribery and he was ultimately sentenced to a nine-year sentence for the bribe. So 
when when they overcome when they turn a rock over in this, you're going to see dozens of crimes come out. Uh, it is absolutely incredible what this guy got away with, uh, and uh, it, uh, unreal. Uh, and this is all going to happen uh, soon after they, as part of the evidence, they'll mass to indict Joe Biden, and uh, his name will be absolutely uh, despicable and despised by the American people once they get that information. I'd like to just tell one other story about Frank Biden and, by implication, Joe. In 1999, Frank's driver's license was suspended, but despite this impediment, he rented a Jaguar XB8 sedan. Doug is drooling over here. No. On August 4th, 1999, Frank drove with a young friend, Jason Thurton, to a midnight concert at the Belly Up Tavern in Cardiff, California. Without a license, Frank gave the car keys to Jason. Frank rode shotgun handling the stick shift and provided instructions as they cruised down the highway. At one point, Frank shifted into high gear. Remember, he doesn't have a driver's license. Remember, oh, he, yeah. he shifted into high gear and told Jason to punch the car and leave it in third gear. Frank then gave the command for fourth gear and the Jaguar picked up speed. Soon they were humming along at 80 miles an hour in a 35-mile-an-hour zone. Then the joyride proved gruesome. Frank then, then Schweitzer, who wrote the book on this, uh, resumes the narrative. Michael Albano, a 37-year-old single father, was crossing the street when the car rammed into him. Albano was first struck by the right headlamp, which sent him crashing into the windshield over the top of the car into a backseat passenger face, passenger's face, and then into the Jaguar's trunk before landing on asphalt. <clears throat> the two witnesses say Frank urged Jason to keep driving. Albano died at the scene, leaving behind two daughters. While Jason pled guilty to hit and run, the guardians for Albano's daughters sued Frank in a civil wrongful death suit. Frank skipped. He never showed up at the courthouse, did not answer any of the legal correspondence, never applied to the court's final order, awarding the Albano family half a million dollars for the two daughters. The Albanos had to hire a private detective to find Frank Biden. The Biden family returning refused to provide any information on Frank's whereabouts. Frank was holed up at Joe's house while Joe was serving in the Senate. Mm. The Abano girls never did collect on the judgment. They approached Senator Biden eight years after the accident who handed the request off to an aide and said the senator wishes to express his deep sympathy with the Albano daughters over their life. While it is correct as you state that Senator Biden was not involved in the accident and bears no legal liability for the judgment, the senator would certainly encourage his daughter, his brother, to pay the judgment if all his personal circumstances make that at all possible. Frank then, of course, went on to a lucrative career as a bribing agent for Joe Biden and uh, went to Costa Rica, uh, where he was paid tens of thousands of dollars for a contract to develop solar energy in Costa Rica. So this goes on and on and on. I could keep going forever. In fact, I have a new book coming out in about a month that details all of this. And this is all going to come out when Joe Biden's impeachment trial begins. The Biden crime family? Yep. Beautiful.
Steve Forbes warns the big financial crisis is coming. The CEO of Wells Fargo warns the worst is yet to come for Americans. Meanwhile, the Fed raised rates again with the biggest single rate hike in four decades. And all of the positive jobs reports for 2023 were just revised downwards. Less jobs than originally reported. So much for Build Back Better. Call the Patriot Gold Group today before it's too late. Mention WABC and you'll get best-in-class service from Patriots Protecting Patriots. Patriot Gold Group has the no-fee-for-life IRA, where your IRA or 401k can be in physical gold and silver, and you may be eligible for the no-fee-for-life IRA on qualifying rollovers. Call 888-594-7855 for a free investor guide today. Patriot Gold Group is Consumer Affairs' top-rated gold IRA dealer six years in a row. Call 888-594-7855. That's 888-594-7855. This is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. One correction, uh, Dick Morris, <laughs> very important to your whole story. It's either an XK or an XE. There's no XB. That's the car that, that Frank Jaguar. Is friend was driving yeah uh, he was driving with the friend that killed this guy right <laughs> um, now a lot of that's the information that's coming out so far concerns joe biden's involvement with burisma the corrupt ukrainian energy company and uh the and the involvement uh is has been highlighted by the testimony of an fbi informer that 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 uh, half hunter biden would have dinner with his clients or associates, uh, the people who was pitching for business, and would get his father on the speakerphone, who was then the serving vice president. Mm-hmm. And the Democrats say, hey, he only talked about the weather and other trivial kinds of things. Oh, sure. So apparently Joe Biden was weatherman-in-chief, called mm-hmm. warning his son to wear his raincoat and galoshes so he wouldn't catch cold. He should wear his raincoat more often. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> And the... And this, and, and the informant said that there were over 20 times when Hunter was at a meeting with a potential client and brought his father in on the speakerphone just to simply be there and to have the client know that he had that kind of access. Uh, and, and there could be no motive for that other than that. <laughs> there was no business discussed. They yeah. proudly say we didn't discuss business. We just talked small talk about the weather. So you're meeting with a client. You're telling him you can be the difference maker in his life. You can bring in millions of dollars from him. You can help him get under, out from under a prop, difficult situation you have. And the phone rings, and it's Joe Biden, the vice president. And Hunter answers, and they talk about whether it's going to rain today, uh, whether it'll be too cold tonight. This, this reminds me of uh, when Clinton went to the airport on the tarmac yeah, to talk to right. Uh, Who did he talk to? to, to the, uh, Loretta Lynch. Right. Yeah. Right. We Same only thing. discussed oh, the yeah. weather. The, yeah. Our grandchildren. Yeah, our grandchildren. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and the this kind of evidence is going to keep coming out, and ultimately will be very very serious for mm-hmm. uh, Joe Biden. Um, There's so much. There's so much stuff. Let's go to Adam and Mineola. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Um, I just wanted to say that that information that you're talking about, 
That happened long years ago. And when Trump was the president, he didn't try to prosecute. Nothing came of that. So I don't know how you figure something's going to come out of it now, sir. Well, Trump didn't raise it because it had no relevance. It would be impeaching or going after a guy who was vice president, uh, who was vice president earlier. Uh, he wasn't the vice president at the time. And there are a list of people to go after. And why go after a guy who, who had left office when Trump became president? Now, it would have been a good idea in retrospect to have mm-hmm. done that, mm-hmm. but he didn't. And the point is that this is on the record of Joe, of Hunter Biden. And don't assume that that corruption and that bribery pattern did not continue after Joe became president. But understand this about Joe Biden's career. He was making no money at all in the U.S. Senate. When he left the Senate after 36 years, he had a net worth of $21,000. 21000 so he's probably the most honest or the most inept vice president in history. In, <laughs> as, uh, I'm going with vice inept. president in history. Uh. But when he when he left the Senate, he was a poor man. When he left the vice presidency eight years later, he had a net worth of two million. So he learned a little bit about corruption. <laughs> he also wrote a book at the time that sold okay, and he continued to get income from the Chinese through the Penn Center that they were funding at the University of Pennsylvania. And, but it doesn't come to two million, but still it was okay. Then in one year, 2017, when Joe Biden left office and was out of office, he made $15 million in payments from Ukraine and China wow. and all other sources. Now he claims that this spurt in his income came from a book he wrote about his son's death called Promises to Keep. But Book companies pay their authors 15% of the sales. And that bill, that book would have had to have outsold the Bible <laughs> to make that kind of money. In fact, the Publishers Weekly reports that the Biden book did very well and produced revenues of uh, about $10 million, which meant that Biden would have gotten $1.5 million, but not the $15 million he made that year. Mm-hmm. His salary is his pension as vice president. Uh, it was 25,000, his pension, uh, 250,000, his pension from the Senate was half a million. He got half a million from the Chinese through Pennsylvania, but all of that comes to about four, three or four million, not the 15 million that he made. Where the other 10 And the rest from. of it was mainly bribery. Mm. So the issue is where did the other 10 million come from? And that's what they're really going to investigate. Uh, let's go to, um, Chris and the Catskills. Hey, good morning, Dick. Uh, I just uh, watched CNN and saw Dana Bash interview Trump's lead attorney, and she rhetorically admonished him very easily. So I'm kind of curious how you see this playing out in a District of Columbia court of law or any of these other venues. If a reporter like Dana Bash can rhetorically handle Trump's lead attorney, how how is he how is this lead attorney going to fare out against you know, well, law school trained uh, t- uh, prosecutors, you know, I'm, and some juries and jurisdictions that aren't going to be inclined to be of the same political persuasion yeah. as Trump. Mm. Look, I'm, I'm a lot less concerned about the capabilities of the lawyer than I am the bias of the judge and the juries. This is a kangaroo court from day one. In fact, I really support the idea that Trump should insist that this be televised. 
when uh, Netanyahu was indicted and had to run for election while indicted, he insisted that his trial be televised, mm. and that was a key factor in his winning the election. Interesting. And I think the same thing would be true here. Uh, let's go to uh, Robert in Suffolk County. Hi, Robert. Hello, Robert. Uh, hi, Jacob. About a month ago, I'd asked you about, in the documents case, that Trump was not provided a secure facility like all the other presidents. Mm. So then what Trump ended up doing was the best he could to secure it at his secure Mar-a-Lago property. Mm-hmm. Well, documents. That's, that's Which is very secure. Let me check that out. Thanks for reminding me mm. about it. Good. So we'll talk a little bit about what will happen as a result of this. But I'd like to bring on uh, my friend John Jordan, who is an attorney and a former U.S. Naval Intelligence officer, who has some very interesting research that he's done about times in the last 20 years when the Democrats tried to do to protect their own candidates precisely what they're trying to do now, what they claim that that Donald Trump did to get his people elected that the Democrats did the exact same thing as they're accusing Trump of now. This is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yes, Hi, this is Dick Morris on the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group with uh, Doug DePiro next to me. Hello, Dick Morris. Uh, who, uh, who has been of great assistance in this process. Let me it's an on, honor. It's an honor to be here. Let me bring on John Jordan, my good friend, uh, who has been, uh, who is a former naval intelligence officer, fluent in Russian, and I think five other languages, and uh, has a really good lawyer who's done some incredible legal research and come up with an angle that has not been aired publicly, but it will be soon. I've been on the phone promoting it yesterday. John, how are you? Good to, be, good to be with you, old friend. Hello, John. So what happened in Ohio in 2004? So, you know, so I'm just shaking my head that this hasn't been talked about. When I start, when I tell this story, a lot of people, because you have a really sophisticated audience, are going to remember this. In 2004, George W. Bush, um, he won the election rather handily. That was the last time a Republican really, really uh, beat the Democrats soundly. Um, especially in Ohio. And Ohio had at that time, it was 20 electoral votes. And the, it won it by a little over, 100 and, uh, over 110,000, almost 118,000 votes. But when the Ohio's electoral votes were being certified in the Senate, uh, you had Representative Alcee Hastings of Florida, who previous to that had been a U.S. District Court judge who was impeached and removed from office uh, before running for Congress. And he filed an objection uh, in the House, along with 30 other Democrats and with Barbara Boxer, who was then one of California's um, uh, U.S. senators, to object to the to uh, Florida's electoral votes being counted. Ohio's Basically, electoral votes. Ohio's electoral votes, exactly. They wanted to prevent, they wanted to disenfranchise the entire state of Ohio. And that now, would have given the election to Kerry, right? Had they succeeded, this, Kerry would have would he have won the election or just well, come closer? So, so it's, it's not. It's a, that's a great question, and it's no coincidence that they chose Ohio 
They cited voting irregularities and voter suppression, the usual litany of Democrat complaints, without any examples or without being specific. And it so happens that the state they chose, had they removed, had they disqualified Ohio, it would have resulted in an electoral college tie, which would have pushed it to the House of Representatives. And even though Republicans had a majority then, the rules under the 12th Amendment are that each state has a vote. So you can have the majority overall in terms of members' representation, but not the majority in states. Each state got one vote, right? Yeah, one state, one vote. And so this was the first indicia that we had that the Democrats really will go to no end, no length, will go to any length for for power. So you're saying that the the Democrats tried to disqualify Ohio so as to force the election into the House of Representatives, hmm. which would yeah. have probably resulted in John Kerry winning. And it wasn't just one, it was 30. And it turned, and it, it didn't go anywhere because the Democrat powers that we didn't really want to push this at the time. And John Kerry had conceded. But this is the first real effort by the left to circumvent or to really, or to engage in lawfare to circumvent um, years of, um, electoral tradition. When you when when someone side loses, they accept it. But so anyway, so for them to be coming after Republicans, uh, this, President Trump this time is really rich, especially when they're saying he wanted to. President Trump never tried to get a state disqualified or to disenfranchise voters. He was contesting the outcome in states uh-huh. in in a similar way to what Gore did in two thousand. The Democrats two thousand four wanted to remove a state from the count completely. So just look back over the history of it. In um, 2004, they tried to disqualify Ohio. In 2000, they tried basically to disqualify Florida, uh, fighting the count in Florida. Uh, And then we have the – and then in 2016, Hillary protested the results uh, because of Russian interference, but also – elect voter suppression, as I recall. So the, oh, yeah, the Democrats, you can always count on them to allege voter suppression without being specific uh-huh. or, or, or being proven wrong in the end. Remember what they said about Georgia's election reform law. They called it Jim Crow in a suit. Never mind that in 2022, they had greater voter participation among African-Americans ever before. They're always going to claim that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that it's, it's very interesting that they tried to do exactly to uh, Bush what they're now trying to do to Trump. And what they do, Dick, is even more insidious in a way is how they've hijacked language. They use the term overthrow the government. President Trump wasn't overthrowing the government. He wasn't, he wasn't thrashing our democracy. He was merely, he's merely making the claim that no, the elections, some of these counts were wrong. He's contesting an outcome. That's not the same thing. He's contesting an outcome that's proclaimed by the media. The media that also went with the Russian collusion hoax and all manner of other things, you know, masks and vaccines and all of that. But he's not trying to didn't try to overthrow the government. And it's how they use the language. How do they frame this? That's really Orwellian. Well, the whole concept that without a gun, without armaments, uh, with simply a mob, uh, with placard signs and, and objections, uh, Trump was trying to overthrow the government of the United States. What a ridiculous extension. 
Well, yeah, and most of these protesters, they left their guns in the car, unlike the protesters of 2020. Mm. And and not only did they, uh, not only did Trump not urge uh, a violent revolution, he called people to go home peacefully and patriotically. And, uh, and to, and basically, when you get down to it, Donald Trump is being indicted for the crime of saying that he thought the election was rigged. For the crime of free speech. And if the president of the United States can't comment on an election, on his own re-election results, when he thinks he has evidence of fraud, that is unbelievable. But this is another step in what the left is trying to do, is criminalize speech they don't agree with. Mm. Criminalize it or censor it. We saw this during COVID. If you didn't like the vaccines, if you disputed the government's narrative, then they tried to formalize it with the uh, Disinformation Governance Board led by Scary Poppins, you know, that lady who sang. Right. <laughs> they tried to actually formalize it. Yep. When, and, now, and how, how, would this, how would this relate to the potential of a gag order <laughs> in the Trump trial? I can't believe that can happen. Uh, yeah, it can happen, and this judge is probably going to grant it to some degree because wow. gag orders are fairly common in criminal cases in both state, various states and in federal court. But here's the thing: it's how the gag order is crafted, and that's what uh, you know. The that's the, what's being going to be litigated in the near term, uh, and it would behoove Trump to talk about the issues. But not to talk about the case so much, except in generalities and talk mm. about how free speech is being criminalized and talk about it in a way that's relatable to the American public, but not talk about it specific, you know, the, the specifics of his case. But a gag order likely will be issued because they are common in these types of higher, in higher profile. Cases. Do you think an interlocutory appeal could be filed uh, on this matter? It, it could be, but I don't think an interlocutory appeal would be successful on a gag order unless. Uh, unless it's clear overreach by the judge, but just that the gag orders are common, and they and so it, yeah, that would but be the a person getting the gag order is not a candidate for president. What's the interlocutory? Yeah, well, you appeal the, interlocutory, the yeah. You appeal the process before the final outcome. Got it. Yeah, it's a pendente lite during the pro, during litigation. Mm-hmm. So, so do I? It depends on how the gag order is written. Right. So it depends on how it's tailored, because it's not just the presence or absence of a gag order. Each one is tailored for the specific circumstances and especially this one. I mean, I'm thinking that he should demand that the trial be televised. Um, Netanyahu's advisor told me, John McLaughlin, told me the key to their getting Netanyahu reelected, despite his being under indictment, was to force the issue to trial and have the trial be televised in Israel. And everybody saw how trumped up the charges were. I think, I think, I think that, the, that, we, that maybe, maybe that maybe that is a good idea, but I think that needs to be thought through very carefully for two couple reasons. Couple reasons to think about that. First of all, the Democrats are actually calling it for t- to be televised. Yeah. And if it is televised, this is going to make the O.J. Simpson look like the freaking small claims court in Sonoma County, <laughs> California. Yeah. Now, right? if it is televised, like would, Trump, Judge would Trump testify? His lawyers will never let him on the stand. Yeah. I mean, he would have to overrule them, and they'll resign in mass before they – most lawyers do not want their criminal defendant client on the stand. That is an act of desperation, not an act of strength. And that is, mm-hmm. that is lawyering 101, and especially with one who can be – can go off script. Yes. So President lawyers, President Trump's lawyers will quit before they'll ever let him on the stand. I know I would, and I'm all for it, but I would do anything I could for him. 
But what's going? I, I'm But if this is televised, there will be no other room to talk about any other Anything. President Trump's yeah. issues or uh, to make the case against Joe Biden. You will not be able to make that case. Well, the case will be made in the second ring of the three ring circuits, the uh, House of the uh, House of Representatives, where they will be impeaching Joe Biden. And then the Senate, where he'll be on trial in the Senate. Practically speaking, if this is televised in the terms of, in terms of the bandwidth available for the American people to process information in the election, this will all be about that trial and it will not be about Joe Biden. Mm, And that concerns me. Yeah. Mm, Basically, you you televise this, you're basically allowing Joe Biden to go back into his basement again. You're right. You're right. Wow. Interesting. Fascinating discussion. I'm glad we're having this on the air and not just over the phone. (laughs) We talk all the time. Um, but we, it, it just strikes me as incredible that you have a proceeding here that is gagging the president, uh, at the, at, and, and the, being decided in camera secretly, in effect, whether the people should be allowed to elect their own president. And, uh, the gag order would seem just the ultimate statement of the repeal of democracy. Yeah. So again, it depends on how the gag order and how those, those, that that order is written, and what he and who he's allowed to talk to, he's not allowed to talk to Witten. So it, again, it, let's 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 wait and see what that get, what that order looks like. Well, well, but what, there is a chance that it'll be upheld, and I just want to be yeah. clear about that. And it's what, more likely and, that it will be. And, and if Trump violates the gag order, what happens? You can theoretically be held in contempt of court. Right. Can be anything from monetary sanctions to a more stringent order or to and at the extreme end of the spectrum you can be incarcerated oh my god i mean there's a point at which the public just refuses to accept this uh that yeah. the president giving a speech commenting on on how he's being railroaded and how uh, and how the election was fraudulent and the ballot yeah, i think i think that played right the president has a real opportunity here with the gag order you can talk about the case generally. You can talk about the history of what the Democrats are doing. Can you generally. can you talk you can about the fraud that. in the election? Yeah, you can talk about the fraud in the election. You, uh, you should almost certainly. They, I thought they, the they, judge they, is going to limit that discussion. Well, no, it, well, it depends on what how the order is written. The order is probably going to be dealt with. You may not talk to specific witnesses, um, but, but talking about the election, had she, if she if she prevents that, that would be overreach. But, John, I'm I saying mean, that in the trial itself, will the judge say it's not admissible to talk about the fact that there was fraud in the 2020 election? It would be hard for her to say that because this goes to the heart of intent. In, in just because the same manner that in the Dominion suit against Fox, uh, Fox was not permitted to say that the that, that everything it said was accurate, um, that Dominion did, uh, in fact, uh, that was a very different set of that was a whole completely different case. The case the government is bringing here requires, among a whole host of the things, one very specific thing in all four counts. that President Trump knew that the election was not rigged, that it was right. legitimate, that now, he knew that. John, so I'm, I'm out of time and they're about to choke me. So uh, can you come back next week and can we continue this? Yeah, this is great. Anytime. OK, Anytime, old friend. good. Because you're so good about this. Thank you. It's an honor, an honor, Dick Morris. I have to say that every time. Yes, I'm stuck in the